0: Welcome to the Renegade Movement Performance Podcast. I am Lex. And I'm Kyle. And today we're recording our first podcast in God knows how long. I feel like we say this every single time we record, but here we are.
1: It's been a minute. (laughs) We're working on it.
0: So today we're going to talk about pelvic health. So we're going to talk all things as far as what pelvic health is, the why behind pelvic health, and why Kyle got into pelvic health. And then we'll talk about how pelvic health can help Patients in real time, who we help, what diagnoses Kyle sees, et cetera. So, without further ado, let's jump into it. Kyle, let's start talking about pelvic health physical therapy.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, pelvic health physical therapy, and now there's actually occupational therapists that um, participate as well. But, pelvic health physical therapy is just a specialty area of practice within physical therapy where we help folks who have um, challenges related to their pelvic floor. And for those of us listening who don't know about the pelvic floor, and pelvic floor is a bowl of muscles at the bottom of your pelvis they have a lot of functions including um, creating support for the abdominal pelvic organs helping create pressure and stability throughout the core um, certainly sexual function and certainly bowel and bladder function um, and then they do help also with circulatory function as well um, and so those are kind of like the five main functions of the pelvic floor and basically um, when we're working with folks again i always liken it to i was treating your shoulder it's a group of muscles and bones and joints and stuff and nerves and all other things and we're treating your shoulder and so it's the same thing but i always joke like it's just ortho stuff in a cave um which leads me into my next that's a good segue i guess into my next piece i was just
0: going to ask you about that
1: this is my why yeah
0: yeah like why what what brought you into pelvic health to begin with and How do you feel it complemented, or what did you feel was missing for general ortho? Because obviously, you brought in pelvic health after ortho.
1: Yeah, so what happened was, um, even actually when I was a student, but certainly in our time in Alaska when we were practicing, I noticed that there was a gap. Um, And so, you know, a patient with low back or SI joint stuff or, you know, sciatica, stuff in and around like the low back pelvic region. Um, you know hip impingement things like that those type diagnoses are seemingly orthopedic and very mechanical musculoskeletal Like have n- nothing to do with pelvic internal type stuffs, craziness um, But I noticed that those folks would get you know most of them would get better, you know, I, d- I do a decent job I think but um, There were a certain subset of them that got, you know, maybe halfway three-quarters 80% better But there's always like a lingering bit that they wouldn't kind of you know progress beyond Um and so the more and more I thought about it, the more I realized it was probably the bottom part of their core canister, um, an integral part to like deep hip control, like uh, that pelvic floor thing. And basically in ortho PT, a lot of times we just neglect that. Um, luckily we had been introduced to that in our um, school like program. We had like one day where a pelvic health therapist came in and talked to us about some of that stuff. So I kind of tangentially was aware of that. So that was kind of on my mind. And then also at the same time, I think largely because it was an underserved area um, as far as healthcare goes, I had a lot of patients sharing like concerns that were more public health specific. Um, You know, things like pain with penetrative intercourse, things like, you know, urinary incontinence. Um, And again, I knew tangentially like pelvic health PT can help with this, but I am not a public health PT. And so eventually I kind of had enough of like, all right, cool. I want to be able to get my people hundred percent better, not 70, 80%. And I want to be able to help them with those concerns, not say, Oh yeah, like pelvic PT can help, but I'm not one. Um,
0: so you keep saying this whole pelvic health PT and like ortho, and you felt that there was a gap. So can you describe the difference between if you're an ortho PT who practices and does what we call like women's health and a trained pelvic health physical therapist because there is a big difference there and I think it's really important to address what this is and why it's different and also how it's different from other providers such as like a urogynecologist or an OB and what you do
1: yeah so I'm glad you asked that question um there are kind of in my mind three different three different types I shouldn't say tears three different types of pelvic quote-unquote therapists Um, within physical therapy there are therapists that say that they're pelvic therapists but they mean that they're an ortho practitioner that maybe uh, has some training on stuff around the pelvis external stuff only Um, and maybe probably isn't even looking at pelvic floor stuff externally but just you know muscles around like the hip and pelvis and SI joint stuff like that and they they call themselves pelvic therapists
0: so they they're I just want to clarify so they're doing exercises if you will that incorporate the region of the pelvis, but they're not necessarily taking into account the specific nature of the pelvic floor muscles.
1: Yeah, so I'm they're right. using exercise and like manual therapy type techniques for stuff around the pelvic um, area, but not specific to the pelvic floor gotcha. or with any advanced training of the pelvic floor um, muscles assessment and treatment. Um, and then there's the second kind of uh, category of of pelvic therapists who do actually practice on the pelvic floor muscles, and they might do some internal stuff, but typically their treatment involves more, shall we say, modalities. Um, And so they do a lot of things like uh, biofeedback sensors um, externally with like little pads that almost like are like a TENS unit that kind of tell you, it's like a surface EMG, so it tells you kind of some feedback on like when your muscles are firing or not. Um, And then they also have internal kind of probes that can can help give feedback as well um or maybe they use just like you know kegel weight trainers stuff like that like so they do some internal stuff but they're not really assessing the neuromuscular function of the pelvic floor and then treating it and then incorporating it into um into movement into life and so that brings us to the third group of folks um which is you know i'm obviously biased as you can hear in my voice probably but Uh, this is what we do so we are trained on assessing and um, treating the neuromuscular structures of the pelvic floor both externally and internally so around the perineum and inside of the um, vaginal or rectal or both uh, cavities to access the pelvic floor muscles Um, if warranted if preferred by a patient so there's a lot of asterisk there because we're not doing internal exams on just everybody Uh, but certainly if it's warranted and the the patient wants that um, then then we'll do that, but again, it's,
0: yeah, let's jump into that next for sure, but I have a question, so obviously asking rhetorical questions here, because I just want to make sure that we address all the things, Um, when it comes to the third group, let's talk about, I feel like because we have developed this practice to be an ortho-pelvic practice, it's really important to understand that you may have experienced a treatment style in which you remained on the table the entire time you may have done clamshells you may have done straight leg raises whatever you call it on the table but never really address the standing component, especially if you're an athlete. Like, are you running? Are you squatting? Are you deadlifting? So, so I feel like, can you like, can we elaborate on that a little I, bit and how it's different? I guess. Kyle's I like count. jumping at the bit right now. He like wants to just ah.
1: Yeah, try not to cut you off. But yeah, I, I guess I couldn't count actually this morning. So there's actually four groups, or maybe on that third group that we're talking about that does the internal and they are trained on pelvic muscles and assessment treatment of the, thereof. I guess there's maybe a subgroup, if you will. So yeah, there's certainly. Um, a subset of my colleagues who treat internally, are trained for that, um, do all the pelvic things. They're true, what I would consider true pelvic health therapists, but largely treat folks on the table. So they'll do manual therapy either internally or externally on the table. They might have them do some exercises like bridges and clamshells and things of that nature, Um, you know, certain stretches and yoga poses and things of that nature, largely on the table or in a relaxed position at least. Um, And largely who don't assess the pelvic floor in standing which, for a lot of people, can sound intimidating because, all right, cool. Like, first of all, it's a hard, hard enough concept to grasp that a PT is going to be doing internal things, but second, I, th- I think in a lot of people's minds, anyway. But secondarily, a PT is going to be doing internal things. Okay, cool. That's maybe not so far off from my OB, which there are some differences we'll talk about in a minute. But um, they can kind of grasp that. But then, like, all right, cool. But we're going to be off the table and we're doing pelvic things. I, what, what does that look like? But. The reason that that's warranted for a lot of folks and can be super helpful is if we think about gravity when you're laying on your back it's basically effectively turned off there's no pressure there's no weight of your abdominal organs and everything else um, pressing down on the pelvic floor there's no load bearing on your hips there's no there's no simulation to reality right like most of the folks that i work with aren't having their symptoms when they're laying flat on their back some exceptions there obviously but most of the folks that i work with are having that stress incontinence, that involuntary loss of urine when they're running after their kids or when they're jumping or then they're doing double unders at the CrossFit box.
0: Or like after a long day, they're having the pressure feeling in the pelvis, etc.
1: Yeah. yeah, so it, it usually is corresponding to life activities. And even if that's sitting, still upright. So it's important to assess in upright. And then the other piece there is if I only ever gave you you know, manual therapy stuff, some TLC on the table, and also some very easy exercises when you're laying on your back or your side or something like that, and some stretches. That's great, and it can be a good place to start, but it doesn't approximate, it doesn't close the gap between doing those things and then getting you back to CrossFit or getting you back to running or getting you back to, you know, lifting weights or even just tossing your kids around and playing with your kids, because the demand of those activities on your body, and more specifically, for our case, on the pelvic floor, is so much different um, and a lot of times greater than the demand that, you know, a set of bridges or clamshells on a table will place on you. Right. So, and like
0: Those providers oftentimes refer out. So they'll, they'll do the manual therapy component, they'll do that, and then they'll actually refer out to someone else to, I don't want to call it finish therapy because that's not really what this is, but to really dive into that functional movement deadlift squat stuff because that's just not what they specialize in which i feel like is really important to address here because to have a provider that does both it really takes into account the fact that you don't have to tell your story twice you get to tell your story once you get to trust someone once so you get to go through the whole process with one person which for a lot of people in this healthcare system feels good because you don't have to jump around to different people and hope that you like them and well, take a guess. And how
1: many people have you already told your story to, right? By the yeah. time, unfortunately, um, so you can access physical therapy services and public health physical therapy services, direct access. Like, hey, I have these challenges. I think public PT can help. Call us up and, and certainly we can help you. Um, legally speaking, they've passed that bill a while back now. Um, so you don't need a referral.
0: At least in New Hampshire anyway. Most states have that direct access component, but. New Hampshire, for sure.
1: Yeah. And so, um, unfortunately, though, most people go to like their primary, and then they get referred to specialists, and eventually, through the specialists, get referred to us, which is maybe how you're listening to this, um, which is great. But uh, my point being, how many times have you told your story to different providers? And so, yeah, I can certainly, Lex, to your point, it certainly can kind of feel hopeless and also annoying to have to keep telling your story. So um, I think, Lex, your point was, that we can hear your story and you only have to tell it to one provider. And it's also one provider who knows what we're doing with the internal manual therapy piece and the assessment of the pelvic floor and all that stuff. And also how that translates to your function, squatting, deadlifting, running, right. jumping, do all the things.
0: Right, like if you want to equate it to like, I hate saying more bang for your buck, but that's kind of what it is. You're getting a provider who understands the whole system when you're working with Renegade because they're able to blend both that manual and the orthopelvic nature because we understand the squats the deadlifts all the things and life demands and we have expertise in both
1: shameless plug no
0: well it's but also but it's (laughs) but
1: it's important though because um yeah no it's important though because again thinking about the pelvic floor like it can be very beneficial and for a lot of patients certainly maybe i do start there um with more focused pelvic floor specific type intervention stuff and that can be very important maybe critical for, for a patient's care but also that pelvic floor is doing a lot of different stuff when we are again standing and then doing all the activities that we love and again people typically don't come in my door saying I have stress incontinence when I'm laying flat on my back they say that I'm wetting myself when I'm you know jump roping or, or going for a run past a certain number of miles or whatever it might be and yeah. so again we have to kind of close that gap and assess the things that people have are having the challenges in and that's also true for orthopedic stuff by the way there are a lot of folks who maybe don't assess those things either. So somebody comes in with shoulder pain, when you're having that shoulder pain, uh, when I'm snatching a barbell overhead or when I'm doing like push jerks or when I'm doing handstand push-ups or whatever it might be. And then they don't assess those things ever. Yeah. And so it's like, all right, well, cool. How do we expect that person not to have that shoulder pain with those movements if we never assessed it and then maybe made some optimizations to that movement? Right. So similar, but just with the pelvic health angle concerned, um, we want to kind of approximate the demands that you're having the challenges with so that you can do those things without having those challenges again.
0: Right. So let's jump into who pelvic health therapy can help and diagnoses that we commonly see um, results that yeah. we could see. So let's jump into that a little bit.
1: Yeah. So there's a couple of, um, I can't count this morning, so I'll say there's several categories. I won't put a number to it, but there's several categories of pelvic conditions if you will. Um, Predominantly we can say that there are pain categories and there are uh, incontinent categories, but then there's a lot of mishmash between that and there's a lot of overlap and there's a lot of folks who have more than one thing going on. Um, So some common conditions include like incontinence and you can break down incontinence into a lot of different subtypes, um, but basically that's the involuntary loss of either um, urine or feces or gas or some combination thereof. Um, There are hypermobility type uh, cases, so like prolapse would be one of those. Um, Diastasis rectus, abdominis or DRA would be one of those. Um, Then there are a lot of pain conditions and then basically we just, you know, this is how the scientific medical community does it. They just name stuff based on like, you have pain in this spot, let's name the spot and the pain. Um, So like vulvodynia, vaginismus, dyspareunia, Um, And, you know, there's like vulval vestibulitis, there's a bunch of different pain conditions, but basically pain in and around um, the pelvic area, either externally, internally, or both, and sometimes only with certain situations, um, notably for a lot of folks, penetrative intercourse. Um, There's also a lot of things that can happen either during pregnancy, or as the body changes, or certainly related to the delivery process and postpartum period. Um, and I think that's most prominent on folks' minds. If you have heard of pelvic health, typically it's in response to somebody who's pregnant or newly postpartum, um, and that's great. And, and I love that awareness is spreading. But there's certainly, statistically speaking, a lot of folks who are young and otherwise "quote unquote" healthy and haven't had some kind of complex, you know, pregnancy story and delivery story, um, who have who have these kind of pelvic or conditions. Or folks
0: who haven't been pregnant at all.
1: That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. So folks who've never been pregnant at all, yeah, never had a delivery. Or even if they have been pregnant, had delivery, like it doesn't have to be this dramatic. Oh man, I had this crazy tearing because I had a 20-pound baby or something yeah. crazy, you know? Um,
0: Can we jump in really quick? I just want to make sure when we talk about prolapse, if you have not heard that word, some of the symptoms that they may be feeling, like yeah. pressure in the pelvis, um, just kind of getting fullness, that People sensation of fullness. Typically
1: described: pressure, heaviness, fullness. Sometimes like an achy, dull, like a dull, dull achy pain. Ache, yeah. um, most notably, low back pain yeah. that gets worse as the day goes on, seemingly without any kind of, you know, one thing, like one movement, one activity that aggravates the back. It's just like, yeah, as I do a little bit more and more throughout the day, it doesn't matter what activity it is, it just gets that dull ache coming on, usually towards the end of the day, usually with more overall activity. Yeah. Um, that can be related to the pelvic floor. So, yeah, all those things. I want to touch sometimes on diastasis people, Sometimes people feel like there's something between their legs, oh, yeah, I've heard a good one. as well. That's a good one. Um, and certainly for people who are inverting, like notably um, yoga practitioners, <laughs> there can be other symptoms there as well, or yeah. certainly even just with daily movements, um, notably uh, vaginal vaginal air exchange, so queefing, what most people might say, um, can also be a symptom of that.
0: And then we should also break down diastasis, if they have not heard of that. So hmm. diastasis like that, abdominal gapping.
1: Yeah, so diastasis is a hot button one, um, I think, it's one of those things that because we can see it and measure it and all these things and there's more awareness which yay for that um, but it's it's maybe too prominent and so thinking about diastasis it typically happens in response to a pregnancy if we think about a pregnancy the analogy i like to use is santa and suspenders so think about jolly old santa with the big belly big round globe of a belly um, and at least my santa right now uh, and the suspenders are straight line his belly's a round globe so you can imagine those suspenders aren't going to go straight up the middle. They're going to want to bend and bow to the outside and create a separation between the two suspenders. So similarly, our rectus abdominis muscle is two straight lines up the center. And as we grow, you know, a little human inside of us and the belly expands to more of a globe, they need to separate. So statistically speaking, almost every every person who gets uh, pregnant is going to have diastasis later on in their pregnancy. And then the question mark is does that remain postpartum and that really depends on a lot of factors Um, but one of the one of the ones we can control and help folks with is how we're pressurizing and using our core well that's Um,
0: what i was going to get into too sometimes you can have diastasis without being pregnant yes so just based on the way that you pressurize and we're going to do a whole episode on like mom pooch as well uh, but you can have diastasis symptoms and visual appearance just because you don't pressurize well when you're doing activities and it doesn't have to be like a 400 pound squat it can be you know something as small as x y and z exercise so
1: well again that brings us into how do we actually help folks yeah let's do the how and then tangentially have been touching on that but Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um if we think about most of the conditions we're talking about yeah sometimes there's a relevant you know like a birth uh, birth injury like a, a you know substantial tear or whatever it might be um, sometimes people fall on their tailbone, you know, and have a, an injury to the pelvic floor in that way. But largely, um, we can say that most of these are stemming from how we're using our body for right. certain activities, either throughout a day or certain activities, you know, for our hobbies, like, like working out and stuff like that. Um, and so the cool part about that is, awesome, we can tweak the how then, right? And so that's how I work with folks is, let's look at what you're already doing and make every repetition or... You know every minute that you're spending doing that activity whatever it is let's make every rep help you versus contribute to the challenges you're already having um and again that goes back to what we we're talking about closing the gap and approximating demands if you already love doing something we should try to get you back to doing that thing and also tweak it to the point where it actually is helping you versus contributing to the challenges you first came in with in the first place
0: well that's that's already saying it's individualized so it's not like everyone comes in and Everything is the same and everyone gets the same type of exercises, the same same types of assessments. While everything can be similar, it is always tailored to the person. So I just want to make sure that that's also known, that it's not this protocol, if you will. It is very much so tailored to the specific person that comes in.
1: Yeah. And that's the rationale for doing assessments, right? Right. Um, of any kind. But notably, definitely for, for this podcast, internal assessments is assess, don't guess. right? So we don't want to be throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. We want to know exactly what are the challenges that are occurring and where are those occurring and how do we then address them. Yeah. And so um, that's the rationale, yeah, when we do exams of any, of any sort is figuring out what, for you as an individual specifically, is contributing to your symptoms. And then we can go ahead and make a plan to kind of work on those.
0: Well, I like to think about that one patient with, who, that you had treated who had right-sided stuff. A lot of right-sided stuff. Oh, so yeah. at, sur- at face value, you would have assumed—I'm going to use the word assumed here—you would have assumed that her pelvic floor symptoms or challenges would have been on the right side. If you assess the muscles on the right side of the pelvis, that it would have corresponded to the rest of her body. But what ended up happening during that internal exam is was actually the opposite, wasn't it? It was on the left.
1: And nope. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So person was having all like whole right-sided um, symptoms. Mechanically, musculoskeletal and also pelvic floor wise. But then when we did an internal assessment expecting full well that the right side of her internal pelvic floor muscles were going to be super tense and tight and symptomatic, they were actually a-okay. And the left side was super flared up.
0: Right. So if you never had done that assessment and you treated the right side, then you're not ever going, I don't want to say not ever going to get better, but you're not going to get that last however much percentage to make them fully better.
1: Well, and also that person experienced substantial relief of the symptoms she was having after we treated that left internal component. Right. Um, Now, that said, again, if somebody's uncomfortable with internal exams or at least right out the gate, certainly there's a lot of other pieces of the puzzle um, that we can address. And so oftentimes that's what it looks like for folks is you know, there's a lot to cover on the initial evaluation. So oftentimes we don't get to the internal exam then. Um, and I also kind of prefer that honestly for a lot of folks so that they can kind of get to know my face and the space. Um, and, and that way, you know, you can be more comfortable for it on a follow up subsequent visit. Um, but also a lot of people we work on other things first and nail down like core and breathing control and nail down, you know, optimizing movements that you're doing. And then we can come back and revisit and look at the public floor stuff and then tie it back into those movements we just did. So. Really, there's a lot of options, and I always liken it to like, you know, as a patient, I want you to be driving the car and your hands are on the wheel, and I'm just your GPS helping guide this process. And so with that, just like a GPS, you can reroute me and make the experience kind of whatever you want. And I, I really do try to uh, develop a, a, collaborate, um, a collaboration type process where, you know, you as a patient have input because it's your body, um, it's your time. And I I think really truly in the human body, our subconscious has an awareness of what do I need to heal? What is gonna help me? Even if we're not consciously aware of that. And so I try to kind of listen to my patients um, and their wishes and kind of what they prefer as best as I possibly can. Um, Obviously I have recommendations and biases on what might be helpful for you, but um, I try to listen and make it a collaborative process wherever we can.
0: Well, let's be honest, in a system where you don't really have much control anywhere else, it's nice to have some sort of control as a patient in this environment. It's one of the only environments that I've, as a female, going into an office that I feel like I have some sort of control, um, which is a great thing to know. Yeah. Um, so I feel like we need to just touch on, because I'm looking at the time, we wanted to make sure that we gave this like a, a crosstown commute or maybe a little bit longer than a crosstown commute, but <laughs> we wanted to make sure we kept this pretty short. So let's just run down, um, let's just talk about the results. Like what, like we, like we, birth prep is something that, that we can do. So it's like, yeah. let's just talk about like the general things that we can help with and results people can have.
1: Yeah, so I wanted to, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to bring this up because I wanted to mention yeah. the biggest thing that I think I can, you know, if I think about what my job is and, and how I actually am helping people yes we can look at the minutiae and what physically things are are helping people and and so on and so forth but i think largely i'd consider myself a hope dealer and so i'm helping people see that there is a light there is a way forward there is a way to um if you want to say the word recover or improve the symptoms you're having and get back to doing the things you love that is true for i don't know any individual i've ever met um including a specific case um so i had this uh this woman that came in again, she was actually no pregnancies, no deliveries. Um, I think she was twenty seven, twenty eight when she first came in. Uh, but so she came in with severe pelvic pain. Um, if you name it, she had it as far as pain syndromes and conditions go, um, to the point where like daily activities would flare it up. Um, not even just you know pelvic specific stuff like you know pen or course, stuff like that. No, uh, that was completely off the table for this person. And like cleaning the windows excessively in her home would flare up her pelvic pain to the point where she had to then rest for like days on end. So super debilitating pain had been present for, I don't know, I think over a decade. She'd seen other pelvic PTs down in like Florida and across the country as as her and her husband had moved. Um, Anyway, it came to me and that was kind of her backstory. And I think we worked together for like three or four months and her pelvic pain was completely gone. Um, She actually called up the other day, which is now almost a year later. She's still doing great. Um, which is actually cool for me because I usually don't get quite that far of a follow-up with people to know that they're Mm -hmm. still doing great. So that was cool. Um, But yeah, so she called up and she's now living, uh, well, I shouldn't say, I guess maybe where, but anyway, so she called up and she's doing great and wanted to let me know. And, you know, so something as seemingly hopeless as over a decade of severe pelvic pain that was provoked with even like daily, you know, menial tasks can be fully resolved. Right. Similarly, I've had a ton of people who have um, a diagnosis of pelvic organ prolapse that have all the symptoms associated with that, and they think they can never go back to lifting and running and doing all the things, and then they're back to doing all the things. Um, I certainly have a lot of folks who come in with incontinence. Um, Again, whether that's happening with activity or in response to certain triggers or in response to actually sometimes during intercourse, and, and those folks all those different types of situations we've certainly worked with folks and they've they've had significant or full resolution of those things too um, For the pregnancy and postpartum side of things uh, wow I've had a lot of people come in for pregnancy wellness which is great because like
0: strengthening and whatnot' yeah. during exercise during pregnancy
1: Yep, helping improve and optimize your overall and certainly pelvic health in preparation for the marathon and its birth right um, giving you a lot of education so you can feel in control and empowered for your birth right. And then also a lot of education and and, um, ideally follow-up visits for the postpartum period so you can recover from that um, as quickly as possible and fully as possible. And again, not be guessing, like, do I wait till my six-week checkup or can I do stuff before then or whatever else? So.
0: Well, like all of the the postpartum healing, you can think about it as postpartum healing, but it really does begin before you actually deliver. Because if you're able to optimize core function, you're able to stay strong, be strong, etc., Prior to delivery, postpartum is much easier as far as that goes.
1: Yeah, I think there's an awareness of that for like, you know, if you're going to have a a joint surgery or certainly like a joint replacement, Mm -hmm. I think there's a public awareness of strengthening around that joint as best you can before the surgery is going to optimize your outcome. It's not much different. If we have better control and strength and awareness of that area, it's certainly going to help us with the delivery process and also make the recovery that much better, that much um, easier for us for yeah. most folks most times and again that's that's been my an experience and also um, I've worked with some some cool folks there too you know it's not just um, most of the folks I work with you know for, for the pregnancy wellness side of things um, are pretty active as well and so it's cool for me to be able to help support them in doing their activity like running or powerlifting and stuff like that and giving while advice that's
0: not just like follow your body if
1: it's 20 pounds or more don't lift <laughs> it or yeah just listen to your body it's like well what am I listening for So yeah, helping people identify those things so they can keep doing what they love and and what's keeping them healthy, um, but also not be overdosing or underdosing or or any of that. So you can keep doing as much as possible um, to keep you as healthy as possible throughout that pregnancy. And you don't have to give up all the things just because now you're pregnant and everything's off limits.
0: So we've talked about a lot. Let's wrap it up as far as like what steps people can take next. And yeah, so let's wrap it up. If you have questions, because we realize and it's not lost on us that it's becoming more mainstream as far as pelvic health therapy goes, we also understand that what we just talked about was a lot of information. So if you listen to that and you're thinking, okay, this might be for me, or I am interested, but I'm not quite sure, um, what can they do next?
1: Uh, I would, well, if you're local and listening to this, I would certainly recommend reaching out to us and scheduling a uh, free consult call. Um, they're about 15 minutes on a phone just chatting about kind of what's going on and figuring out what's the next best step for you. Um, I actually hold that near and dear to my heart to be able to help people get where they need to go because I think largely, again, our, our Western Med healthcare system here is, has um, failed a lot of folks. And so um, helping people get the appropriate referral and getting to the person who can most and best help them is kind of near and dear to my heart, and if that's me, that's awesome, but if that's another provider that I know of that would be way better suited to help them than me, then by all means, um, I'm happy to, to help people get where they need to go, so the consult calls are a great option because it's it's no risk, it's literally your voice on a phone for like 10-15 minutes, and I help you kind of determine what your next best steps maybe should be. Um, and
0: to schedule that, you can go right to our website, which is Ready? Get your pen out. <laughs> www dot, and then this is the long website: renegademovementandperformance dot com. All, all spelled out. All spelled out, um, and you will see a button at the top that just says schedule, so you can schedule a free fifteen-minute discovery call there, um, or you can go to renegade dot com, and that's J A N E app.com so renegade.janeapp.com that will bring you right to our scheduling site so whichever one you prefer and if you're
1: non-local there are a few in case somebody's listening to this is non-local and is like i really want pelvic pt Um, there are a few resources that you can look at online Um, the first one would be herman and wallace Um, herman and wallace
0: that helps you find like local practitioners near you right
1: yes so if you're out in california um, they have a, a provider database. There's a few other ones as well. Um, I think notably mypelvicfloormuscles.com has one. And also,
0: Pelvic Guru has yep, one. Yeah, Pelvic Guru. You... And uh, what's the other APTA? Did you say APTA already, too?
1: No, I didn't say that one. So
0: APTA Pelvic Health also has a, a database as well of providers. Um, and then virtual consults.
1: Yeah, so we can do virtual consults for folks. Um, certainly there are some times where I think it's merited and warranted to, again, get assessed in person, um, especially, you know and, and treated as well, um, especially depending on what's going on. But if you need that internal piece and wanted that internal piece, then maybe that's more valuable in person. But um, for a lot of folks, there's a lot of activity changes and movement swaps and things we can do to help them that we really could do through the, through the video medium. Mm-hmm. Um, so if somebody was interested in a remote consult, we certainly can offer those as well. But if you need somebody in your area local and you're not you know, local to Manchester New Hampshire-esque area, yeah. um, certainly you could search those databases for a public health provider that's right for you.
0: And we also know some folks within the space, of course. So if you are looking for a recommendation and you're wondering, do you know someone in my local area, please feel free to reach out and we can point you in the right direction. So with that being said, I think we are going to wrap it up. Thanks so much for listening. And stay tuned. We're going to try to record more episodes than just one per year in the coming months. Um, We appreciate you listening in, and we will catch you next time.